Amen. Thanks, Brian. You may have a seat. Thanks for being here this morning. Wonderful, wonderful winter day. Not too cold, just right. Well, if you don't mind, go ahead and open up in your Bibles, if you brought your Bible today, to Luke chapter 2. Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke chapter 2. And we find ourselves in a series we started a couple of weeks back, uh, simply called The Messenger and the Messiah. And it's just combining these these two together. Oftentimes around Christmas, we only emphasize the Messiah, and there's nothing wrong with, with emphasizing the coming of the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior of the world, of course. But there's also these critical components uh, that, that, that foreshadowed and that prophesied and, and things that in, had to happen for the Messiah to come and truly be the Messiah. And one of them is, of course, the messenger arriving. So just to review quickly, we have the, around 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and between the New Testament. The silence is broken with the appearance of Gabriel to Zechariah and says, God has heard your prayers. Uh, he said, Gabriel goes, goes ahead and announces that he will be the one who has a birth, gives birth to a prophet, not just any prophet, but the prophesied prophet that was going to come, the messenger that would come before the Messiah. Zechariah doubts Gabriel, right? Because his wife is advanced in years. He is old in years. They cannot have children. So the angel puts a curse upon him for doubting God. And he cannot speak until the baby is born. Uh, she does go, he does go home. They do conceive. Uh, John the Baptist will become that, that messenger, of course, that comes before the Messiah. But Elizabeth, his wife, of course, becomes pregnant. Uh, Gabriel also appears to Joseph, also appears to Mary, to let them know that they are going to have, not the messenger, not the, not the prophet that was prophesied about, but that they would have the Savior, the Messiah, the Christ, the one sent from God. So this is big, big news that is building here, okay? Because all of human history is pointing to this point. This is the point where God brings about the redemption of his people. He brings about the reconciliation of his people. He brings salvation to his people. So everything is looking to this point. From the very first sin of Adam and Eve, this, this Messiah, this Christ, this anointed one, this Savior is prophesied even then. From the very first sin that there would come this one from the seed of a woman that would defeat Satan, that would bring salvation, right? And this is him. So everything is looking looking to this point and now this point has arrived the messenger was born we looked at that upon birth and as they they ask the Zechariah what the son's name is going to be he writes his name is John and the moment he writes John his tongue is loosed it's again a supernatural sign all supernatural signs are pointing to the fact that the messenger has now come Get ready. And now the Messiah is coming and God is putting signs everywhere. The silence has been broken. I've sent my angel. Uh, they begin to prophesy about what is going on. The messenger has been born. Mary becomes pregnant as well. And now we find ourselves in Luke chapter two. And we're just continuing the story because this is our story. This is extremely important. So many times in today's era, Christians do not know what they believe or why they believe it. People think they're Christian because they're born in America and eat apple pie or something, all right? There's more to us than being born in America. That does not make you a Christian, all right? What makes us a Christian 
is the belief in the Messiah, the belief in the Christ. And if anyone should know this story, it should be us. So at this time of year, when people are interested in these types of things, and the word Christmas or holiday or whatever comes up quite often, it is good to know our story. So that's what we're looking at today and over these last few weeks, and in a couple of weeks to come as well. We'll continue to go through the story of the messenger and the story of the Messiah and see this connection that is between them. All right, let's begin uh, Luke chapter 2. I'm just going to begin by reading verse 1 through 7. Then we'll go back and look at it in a little bit more detail. Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Let's pray and we'll begin to look back at this passage. God, we pray that our minds and hearts would be open today as we look at this incredible, awesome story that is a true story of how you have sent the Savior to be born as a man who is also God to bring about our salvation. May we not treat this story in history lightly, but may our minds dwell on it today and understand it with all the importance that it is. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we look back here at verse 1, and once again we see these great, wonderful details that Luke puts into his writing. Luke, of course, writes the book of Luke. He writes the book of Acts as well, and it's chopped full of details, chocked full of them, packed with details. Uh, we have a decree went out from, he gives the exact name of the emperor who was on the throne at that time, Caesar Augustus. He also names who was uh, the governor at that time, Quirinius. He gives us the lo- location where these things were taking place. This is extremely important because many, many people uh, treat the, our book, they treat the Bible as just another book, one of the other books, religious books, and, and people write religious books all the time. The thing about it is, this one is real, and the story is rooted in history, and these are real people, these are real events, and Luke is letting us know these things happened during this reign of Caesar Augustus. Quirinius was, was the governor. He was the governor of Syria. It is real. It is our story. It is a real story that did indeed take place and this is what we're looking back to it is not like the book of mormon that was made up all right there's no roots there's no foundation there's no ground to it the people didn't really exist the places didn't really exist these people really existed in a real time in a real location so it's important to know that especially for the younger ones to let them understand that this is real it is not pretend it is not fiction let me go on through this though and we see this emphasis on bethlehem and, and Bethlehem is a really interesting study in and of itself. And a whole sermon could be preached on just the importance of Bethlehem. But we see here that he has to go to the city of David, which is Bethlehem. Now, all this is, is I find it really interesting because we have here Bethlehem, which is the city of David. If we go back to, you don't have to look it up today, but 1 Samuel seventeen twelve. if you're making notes. Uh, we have that Bethlehem is the birthplace of David. 
And so Bethlehem is extremely important to the whole story, to the whole prophetic chain of the Messiah coming, because we also see that Bethlehem is not only where, the, where David was born, but also we see foretold way back in Samuel that Bethlehem would be the place where the Messiah would also be born. So we look at this just briefly, just to kind of gather, get our minds around a little bit of the prophecy that is being fulfilled here with the Messiah's birth. So uh, Micah 5.2 says this, it says, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Bethlehem was an extremely small town. Uh, wasn't really known for its population, a very tiny area, but it was the city that David was born in, and it was the city that God had established where the Messiah would be born. Now, people were aware of this. Uh, not all people knew it, just as if you ask Christians today about particular doctrines, they may not answer truthfully or know all about uh, fulfilled prophecy or all about exact about doctrines that they should know, but this information was available to them, and many people understood the Messiah had to be born there. They had this prophecy to go by. Now, if we read, for instance, Matthew chapter 2, we'll look at this in a couple of weeks, but we see where the wise men were meeting with Herod. And Herod called the scribes and he called the wise men to him because they want, he wanted to know where the baby was going to be born. And uh, what do they do? They, they tell Herod where the baby is going to be born. How do they know where the baby is going to be born? Well, they used this prophecy and they quoted it exactly over in Matthew 2. So they knew they were able to establish and look at the scriptures and see this prophecy that the Messiah, the king, was going to be born in Bethlehem. And that's where they should go look. And that's where Herod sends them, right? Uh, we also see this in John 7, verse 40 through 43. When people were trying to, to decide, is Jesus truly the Messiah? Is he really the Savior? Is he the Christ sent from God? And they began to try, to try to put the pieces of the puzzle together. In John 7, verse 40 through 43, when they heard Jesus' words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division amongst the people over him. So even here, early in Jesus' ministry, we, we see that the people knew that the Messiah had to come from Bethlehem. But here some of the people said, no, Jesus is not from uh, Bethlehem. He was referred to often as Jesus of Nazareth, right? Because that's where he grew up and that's where he worked. That's where Mary and Joseph lived. But... He did fulfill the prophecy. He was born in Bethlehem. And if you think about this, it is, it's really mind-boggling to, to under, try to get our limited minds around the infinite mind of God. But how that He can, hundreds, whatever, thousands, years before things happen, tell us exactly how and where they're going to happen that the Messiah was going to be born in this exact little bitty town that is so unimportant. It's not even considered to be a part of the major tribes or even the major cities in the area, but the Messiah would come right there in that city. And then to see how God's providential plan unfolds. And now he uses people who are not Christians, who are anti-Christians, atheists as well. This Caesar Augustus, 
uh, pretty much claimed that, that he was God, all right? It was kind of bestowed upon him a, a, a Godship status. But how God, the real God, uses all of this to work together and cause this registration to happen where people had to go back to their cities, where their lineage was connected. And the Jews knew their family tree. I'm, I'm from Arkansas, and you guys give me a hard time about that sometimes, but I know my family tree very well. It's more of a, a pole, all right? But, but if you know what I mean, the family tree here, uh, Jews knew every little branch, every little leaf, every little detail, and they kept a great record of it until their records were destroyed in 70 A.D. with the destruction of Jerusalem. But they knew, and when this registration came out, they had to go down their family tree to go back to where they were connected. Now, where were Mary and Joseph connected to? They came from the line of David. And this plays over and over like a broken record as we study the narrative here in Luke. Line of David, seed of David. He had to come from David. Why is that so? You know, I used this maybe last week. I said like a broken record. I thought right after it as I'm thinking right now. Most people no longer know what a broken record is, but uh, it's saying the same thing over and over and over and over again. All right. The record player is stuck, but it's line of David, line of David. And they're going to the city of David. Again, why is this emphasized over and over and over and over? Because this is a prophecy that had to be fulfilled. It is saying that this is the one who is from the lineage of David. He had, the Messiah had to come from that lineage. And over and over, the Bible is screaming and is shouting, this is him who is connected to David. They're going back to the city of David because Mary and Joseph are from the lineage of David. Now, we also see on this Bethlehem, not only is it the birthplace of David himself, uh, not only is it the prophesied city or little town, hardly even that, that, a, that the Savior was going to come from. But it's very interesting, even when we look at the name of Bethlehem. And if you're making notes today, I encourage you to write this down. It's just an interesting point. But, it, but there is quite a, a bit of significance in it itself. The word Bethlehem simply means house of bread. House of bread. It was a small area known for agriculture, known for making grains and turning them into bread and and feeding uh, large numbers of people around them. So we have the Savior being born in the city of David. He is being born in the prophesied city of Bethlehem, but he is being also born in the house of bread. Look with me. I do have it on the screen for you today, but at John chapter 6, verse 47 through 51, we see that there there is much significance in this, that Jesus is also, of course, referred to as the bread of life and that he is born in the house or city of bread as well. Just look briefly at this. John 6, verse 47, I'll read through 51. Truly, truly, I say to you, this is Jesus speaking, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. This is amazing, right? Just such comfort in this. Even the very city where he is born screams significance to the life and purpose of Jesus. As this city, this Bethlehem, this house of bread is known for feeding all these others, that Jesus himself 
is the one who brings spiritual nourishment, who brings salvation to us, who we are to feed on, to eat on. He is the living bread, not just the bread. Uh, There has been supernatural bread that has come down from God in the past. Just refers to this with the manna, right? The manna came down, fed Moses, fed the Israelites. But this is again above that, that Jesus himself is the ultimate the ultimate supernatural feast, the bread that we must feed on in order to live forever. He is the centerpiece of everything. If we want to be saved, it is through Him. If we want to have spiritual life, it is through Him. Anything else is spiritual starvation. You can feed yourself on this spiritual guy and this spiritual person and this way and that way and this book and that book, but it leads to spiritual starvation. There is only one bread of life. That has come down from God and he was born in the house of bread, the city of bread. And he is the ultimate bread that we must feed on, that we must take. And we even look at this when we took of the Lord's Supper not too long ago in Matthew 26, where Jesus emphasizes that take, you know, drink, take, eat. This is my body given to you and that he is what we must feed on for our salvation. So we see this even tied into his birth. He is the born in the house of bread and also on, on his last moments as he's taking in with his disciples. He lets them know that he is the bread, that they must feed on him if they desire salvation. The salvation is within him and him alone. So quite a significant town here. Uh, so it is the city of David. It is the prophesied city. It is the house of bread where the bread of life would be born. Let's carry on. Look at verse 6. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Luke has a way of of writing. He is a a great historian. Theologians and other historians have looked back in the past and they look at him. He's very analytical and he writes with great detail. But uh, it, it seems like there should be exclamation points all through right here. But there is not. He is, he's writing down the story. He's writing down the details. But don't let um, this message that has become almost mundane to us because we know it. We hear about it. We've heard it a million times by now. But this verse 6 and verse 7 is, is right here is it. This is where God has sent the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and he is now being born. The Messiah had come, Emmanuel, God with us. This is huge. This is unheard of. There's no other birth in history that has been like this. There will never be one like this again. Of course, we know there's no earthly father involved, but this was the virgin birth. And this was the eternal one, God in the flesh, putting on Flesh to God, sorry, God putting on flesh, the incarnation and walking and moving and being amongst people. This is huge. This is amazing. And it's an extreme humbling. Uh, We look at different points and we're going to do some of this during our discipleship time today of where Jesus is receiving worship. And it's just thousands upon thousands, myriads and myriads, the Bible says, of, of angels who are worshiping him. And in Revelation, all creation is bowing down and they're worshiping him. But here, this one who is, who is receiving all this worship in heaven humbles himself to be born a child, to be born a baby, and to live as one of us. 
And he, of course, receives his glory later upon his ascension. But this is the beginning of the humiliation, the humbling, you might say, of the Son of God, where he humbles himself and takes on the form of a man. Uh, We see this also, and we could do this for a long time. I'm not going to do every detail, but this is the the prophecy. Uh, Isaiah 7, 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. This is the prophecy being fulfilled from Isaiah. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 20 through 23, Uh, It says this, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And this took place to fulfill that the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So here we have the fulfillment of where the Messiah would be born. He had to be born in, in Bethlehem. Also, he had to be born, born of a virgin. Uh, the angel here tells Joseph that his son is going to be named Jesus because he, it, his name literally means God saves. Salvation is only found from God and is only found in the Savior that he is sending. It is right here. Jesus will save them from their sins. He is the only way our sins can be removed, forgiven. He is the only way that we can be saved. Otherwise, we remain objects of God's wrath because we have sinned. But here in verse 23 of this Matthew, it, it, his name is Emmanuel because it is also, God with us, literally, not just God being with us or God being amongst us or God moving and directing us, but literally the presence of God, the Son of God, is, has put on flesh and is here with us. So many people will ask as they study this and get a little bit confused, and sometimes children as well. It's good for us uh, adults to be able to explain this to some degree, but was Jesus created here? Is, is this when he was created? Is this... Is his birth like our birth when we came into this world? Uh, you know, we were, we were created, you might say, at that time or before then, of course, at the moment of conception. But does Jesus, is it the same with him? And it is not. He has his physical nature, of course, but we also have the Son of God who is eternal, who spoke and created everything, who has no beginning, who has no end. And that's what makes this birth so interesting because we have this one who is eternal, who has now put on flesh. So it is not the creation of Jesus, more the combination of the Son of God with flesh that we have here. And uh, as we think on this, as I was studying this, it was it just kind of came to my mind, the whole happy holidays or Merry Christmas arguments and fights that everyone seems to get into now. And should it be a happy holiday or should it be Merry Christmas? And and, uh, you know, many Christians I see on Facebook, they're, you know, screaming and yelling, you got to say Merry Christmas, and, and that's fine. Well, I don't know where you sit on that. The word Happy Holiday, it comes from the word Holy Day, so that could be possibly all right as well. It is the Holy Day where Jesus is born. Um, Merry Christmas, of course, has the word Christ in it. And it, it, but even that word has lost its meaning, you know, Christmas. What does Christmas mean? Uh, if you look back a long, long, long ways and do a lot of little study and, and look at some different word usages, it looks like the word Christmas means Christ was sent. 
All right, but does, do any of us even know that that is the meaning of that word now? So that word itself has kind of lost its meaning. So I don't know. I was looking at this today. Maybe, maybe we should say something that's a little bit clearer instead of Happy Holidays or Merry Christmas. Maybe something like Merry Incarnation of God Day. All right, make it very clear, right? Because this is big. And, and the word Christmas, you know, you think you think guys with white beards and elf on shelves and presents and trees, but but this is very clear. It's hard to think about anything else but this, right? I don't think of chimneys and I don't think of ho 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 if I say Merry Incarnation of God Day. I don't know. This, this is something to think about. But maybe if someone says Happy Holiday instead of just throwing them off by saying Merry Christmas, you completely turn around and say Merry Incarnation of God Day, uh, Merry God. God came in the flesh day is also a good one. Uh, or Merry Messiah Day is also another one I came up with. Feel free to use your own brainstorm, all right? But uh, these are very clear, and it's good to be clear. To let people know what you believe and why you believe it. So you might want to throw someone off by doing this. I could definitely see the Lawson family doing something like that this season, just to throw them off. All right, let's read on down. Let's look at verse 8, and we'll continue on. I'm going to read this section. I'll Come back and we'll look at it in more detail again as we have with this other one. Beginning in verse 8, Luke chapter 2. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace amongst those who with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven... The shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart, and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. And then they, at the end of the eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Let's look back at this for a moment here. Verse 8, again, we see the, we see the scene unfolding. Shepherds are out, and it's hard to imagine exactly how this takes place, but the angels are out watching the sheep. And uh, I'm sure it's a, a monotonous job. They've done the same thing for countless nights over and over and over. They're literally counting the sheep to go to sleep at this, this time. And, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, an angel of the Lord appears. And we looked at this a while back, but the first emotion that people have uh, when they see an angel is what? 
It is fear because an angel is not, not a, a, someone that looks like a supermodel. It's not someone in a baby, a, a baby with a little diaper on and a bow and arrow. But they're, they're extremely powerful creatures uh, created by God. They're messengers from God. They've come from the presence of God. We see that they have the glory around them. They've come from the presence, the glory of God. And they still have this glory about them when they arrive. And to be a shepherd counting sheep, doing the same thing you're do- you've done every night, and all of a sudden this beacon of light, this angel appears, it is a horrifying, it is a very scary thing to see. And we see this with Zechariah. We see this where other angels have appeared, uh, that fear is the first thing that they, they do feel. But, but here we have these shepherds, of all people, that God would send his angels to to announce the Messiah was to be born. You think about who it might be. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, uh, the priests, the high priests. Who would receive this message first? And it was to what was considered the lowest uh, status of people at that time amongst Israel were the shepherds, those who had to take care of animals. And we see this even here that God does not look at the position of us or them at this time of who's who in the world, but but he determines worth completely differently, right? And here he, we see the angels coming to someone who, who was not accepted in society, but he comes to them first to announce the birth of the Messiah. Beautiful how this works out. So the glory of the Lord is appearing around the angel. And, and we see that, of course, the shepherds are, are fearful at the presence and the, the breaking of the darkness, the breaking of the silence, the breaking of the mundane bang of the sheep to all of a sudden there's the presence of an angel. Verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the house. I'm oh, sorry, verse 10. I meant to I skipped over accidentally. Uh, verse 10. And the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, who is Christ the Lord. This is the good news. This is the gospel, all right? The good news that is delivered from God. That the good news has come. And it is not just any good news, but look back at this in verse 10. Good news of great joy. What better news could you as a human, could they as a human possibly have? You will receive good news in this lifetime many times. Uh, there might be great news of you're graduating, uh, you're getting married, uh, you're going to have a child, a uh, uh, raise at work, you get a new car, you get a new house, all right? Gas prices drop below $1.70, all right? That's good news. And these things are really nice and they make us happy inside. But the ultimate news that we need to hear is that we have joy because of this good news in God and that Christ is the one who is going to bring us this joy. So the angels announce, I am bringing you good news, good news of great joy. What, what is the content of this joy? What is this message? What is this good news? And what is the center of this joy that he is going to announce? The announcement is the Messiah has come. And this is the ultimate source of joy for us as Christians. You will have good news, things that will make you happy in this life. But this is an overarching joy that should encompass your entire life. That no matter what is happening, no matter what you're going through, no matter what trial, no matter what tribulation, there is this joy in your life. Why? Because you have peace with God. 
Is there any greater news than this? This is the ultimate source of joy. And it's really interesting at this time of year where many people find that they cannot find joy. Uh, December is one of the highest ranked uh, months as far as depression, depression goes, sadness as well. Uh, people look for joy, kind of like the old song, you know, in all the wrong places. Uh, they, they think if they get this present or that present, children perhaps, even adults as well, or this and that. And they look for, they, look, they know they're supposed to have, have something this month, something special this month. But they look here for that special, that joy. And it never, ever achieves pure joy, momentary happiness. And that's it because they didn't look there. The ultimate joy, the only source of true and everlasting joy comes not from here, but it comes from there. It comes from God. And here we have the source of joy. Now, unbelievers, of course, will search and search and search for joy uh, during this time of year. And they'll look for it in all the wrong places and they never will find it. We as Christians, though, this happens to all the time as well. We get caught up in thinking like a non-believer, like someone who is not saved. And this is bad. Because we are supposed to be the ones who know the source of joy, the great news. The Messiah has come. He has redeemed us. He has bought us to himself. He is our savior. He has forgiven us of our sins. He is the one that we eat on for spiritual nourishment that gives us everlasting life. We are at peace with God. We have eternal life with God and nothing can ever take that away. This is huge. But we as Christians, though, even though we we know this, we have to be reminded of it constantly or else we forget. We look at what everyone else is doing and try to do what they do. And the next thing you know, we find ourselves depressed or sad or, and acting just like them. Let us return to the source of our joy. This is the great news. God sent an angel just to announce this news to them. So our source of joy must be the Messiah. It must be the Christ. There is no news greater than this. Uh, he says this message is for all people. And this is important, and eventually the disciples and the Jews get the hang of this, but originally they were thinking it is only for us, right? It takes the book of Acts to open us our, their eyes up to see that the Holy Spirit comes and, and others outside of Jews are being saved, the Samaritans, the Gentiles as well, that the Messiah has come not just for the nation of Israel, but for all people, all races, all types, all who believe in Him. Verse 12, let's carry on a little bit. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Uh, why was the baby being in a manger considered a sign for the shepherds? Uh, well, this was the Messiah, the Savior that had been prophesied about from all history was now being born. If they were not told that the Messiah would be found in a, lying in a manger, where would they go? You know, odds are they would think royalty. They would think uh, king's quarters. They would think uh, a wealthy individual, someone fancy, all right, uh, the biggest house in the town. Maybe he's over there. Let's check the, the, the royal courts. Let's check where the richest homes are in the town. But instead, none of that, all that's overlooked. He is found lying in hay. He is found in a manger. And this would be the sign. It is not, people look back and think, oh, it's probably a long time ago. Kids were... Uh, born in mangers all the time. Uh, we don't find that to be true. It was basically just as unusual then as it would be now. So this was definitely a sign. Verse 13, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God 
and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. It is amazing, and one day we will behold this. It's hard to imagine now, but not just one angel giving this great news, which struck fear in them, but this multitude. And we see similar words used in in the book of Daniel, in the book of Ezekiel, in the book of Revelation as well, even in Isaiah, that just this thousands upon thousands, myriads of myriads, in other words, countless numbers of angels, all singing in perfect harmony, all singing the exact same song. And they're singing, what are they saying? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Listen, God gets all the glory for what is being done here. God receives all of it. Uh, I have a quick question here, but if God gets the glory for our salvation, then what do we get? Well, this, this passage, what even the song they're singing uh, clarifies it for us. God gets all the glory for our salvation. He is sending the Savior to him gets all the glory. We, they are and we are as well to give God the glory. He is the one who is doing all this. What do we get for ourselves in our salvation? We get peace with God. This is great. Many times, I don't know if you're, you've had many conversations with certain individuals about this, but we tend to reverse those roles sometimes where we sometimes try to get the glory for our salvation and God gets peace with us. But this is it's reversed. That's not the way it goes. Salvation is not man upward. Salvation is God downward. And here, God gets the glory for our salvation. What do we get? It's not a ripoff. We get peace with God. This is it. Is there anything worth more than peace with God? Think about that for a moment. Is there anything man should desire more than peace with God? Money, wealth, health prosperity, bigger homes, bigger cars, all right? But where does all that go in the end? It it doesn't go with you. That the Bible is extremely clear that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We will stand before Him in judgment one day. The Bible is clear that we deserve the wrath of God. Ephesians 3, uh, we've looked at this multiple times, but it's good to remember. It says, by nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. That is who we, in general, by nature, we are born an object of God's wrath because we've sinned against Him. So peace with God? Who needs peace with God? Every human needs peace with God. How do we get peace with God? Do you go to church a certain amount of times? Do you give a certain amount to the poor? Do you help enough old ladies across the street? What do you do to get peace with God? Do you try to live a better life than other people? Do you try to say better words and not as many bad words as other people? What do you do to get achieve peace with God? This is it. He is sending the peace. This is peace with God. Peace with God is all bound up in the Christ, in the Messiah, in the one who is incarnate, God the Son who is putting on flesh to live a life that we could not live, to bring peace between God and man for all who trust in Him for their salvation. Uh, Are you at peace with God? Is God pleased with you? This is a good thing to think about. How can you know? Are you at peace with God? Is God pleased with you? This is the message that the angels were bringing, right? Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those whom he is pleased. How can you know if you're at peace with God? How can you know if he is pleased with you? Well, the the question is, 
Uh, the point of this is, is sometimes we think we get so introspective and in, in, am I personally pleasing God every moment of the day? And, and uh, 100% of the time, that would be, a, and the answer would be no. We cannot do that. No one can. So where, where is this peace with God to be found? It is found in this one that is being born. And that's what we continually have to throw our faith back on. We, I do not trust in Trey Talley to save myself. I do not trust in my personal record to please God, to be at, put, put a God at peace with me in my personal living, my personal way of life. There's no way I can achieve righteousness. Only one can achieve righteousness, and who is that? It is this one who is being born for us. So if you are at peace with God, is God pleased with you? The question is, is Jesus Christ your Savior? Because He is the one that lives the life that we could not live. He is the one that dies on the cross, not just to experience death, but to take our sins, place on Him. He receives the punishment for them, and He gives us His righteous standard. So the only one that can be uh, seen as righteous before God is Jesus Himself. But the good news, the, the finished good news as we continue through the New Testament is that God doesn't look at our personal record to determine if He's pleased with us. He looks at those who are in Christ and He sees Christ. Perfect record. So are you at peace with God? Is God pleased with you? Well, the question is, is Jesus Christ your Savior? Have, has He saved you from your sin? Verse 15, let's carry on. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, very quickly, and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Verse 17, And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. The shepherds heard the good news. They went and obeyed God. And they return and, and tell everyone about this news that has been delivered to them. Uh, what about us who know the whole story? If you think about what they knew compared to what we know now, who should be more excited? It should be us. The, the shepherds just got a little piece of the puzzle. I mean, the, the Messiah has been born. He's in a manger. All right, that's all they got. And they rejoiced. They told everyone about it. Because this is good news. This is great. But now we know the whole story. The baby grows up. The baby lives a life for us. He performs signs, miracles, wonders. He proves that he is God the flesh. He dies for our sins. He rises from the dead. He ascends into heaven. He'll be the final judge over all men. In him and him alone is found salvation. This is huge. So we also should take, their, take uh, them as an example and be telling others as well. A few points as we think about this message today. Uh, what do you do with something like this? Well, uh, we should have a fuller understanding of God's plan of redemption. We see that this is not something accidental that God throws together, but we see that this is a beautiful design, a beautiful plan that is laid out by God. He said it would happen like this, and it does happen exactly like this. A greater understanding of the supreme importance of the Messiah. You want peace with God? You want sins forgiven, salvation redeemed by God? It can only be found in the Messiah. A reminder of the joy that we should have because of the Messiah is great joy. 
that we should have. It is a joy that should be unshakable. No matter what comes your way, no matter what happens in life, there should be an inner joy. And I'm not saying you're not going to cry and you're not going to be sad sometimes, but there should be this inner joy of knowing that you are at peace with God. Christ has taken your sins. He has paid the price and you're at peace with your creator. There's no news greater than that. Uh, A reminder of being in a position of peace with God due to the Messiah and increase in our desire to worship God for giving us salvation. We see this with the shepherds at the closing of verse 20. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Beautiful story, beautiful news that's been delivered to God to them. Let us do the same today. Let's pray. God, we worship you for giving us such a great salvation. And we praise your name as the shepherds did, as the countless angels were doing that day, as they sang glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is the greatest news given to mankind, that we can be at peace with God for all of eternity, that the bread of life has come, born in the town of bread, the city of David, the prophecies have come true. We know that your Savior has, has come. And now we know the whole story. We see the, how he lived, how he died, how salvation is found in him. May we praise your name. May we worship you today for it, God. Help us to sense and understand the joy that we should have because we are at peace, because the Messiah has come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and worship. His.